Today is October 17th, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestakomaki or De Kut Nogotini Siku. Hello, my name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Rogue journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty Eleven. People wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klinchotine Indehe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary, or in Blackfoot Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act imposed status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights, Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence and land theft. According to the 2023 Quality of Life Report of the Calgary Foundation, 31% of racialized Calgarians cannot find suitable employment. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share my journey. As a Dene woman who's attempted to run, joined harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope we honour the many Indigenous lives lost for the so-called country of Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation, and also as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never just be one month. It's important to understand that Two-Spirit were here first, and the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space, space for Indigenous peoples, as well as honouring uh, the host as the guest, acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important these land acknowledgements have meaning. It is very clear to me that people don't understand it when I see what people say about Israel and Palestine. I encourage all to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors, their story of displacement, and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement, so we as Indigenous peoples know how safe you are to be around. If you won't pronounce your local Indigenous nations' names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. 
understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, you show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. It's actually kind of a joke to me because I had many people over the course of my life, even before I was really under the road of anti-racism, say to me, oh, I'm a native Calgarian. And I go, really? What band are you from? And whip out my card because they were always really ignorant about what a native supposed to look like and feeling so confident and comfortable saying that. And then go, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I was born here. And I'm like, yeah, but you called yourself a native. There's a difference there of what that means. And it, again, just shows a person has no Indigenous 101 understanding. Anyway, wonderful artists and and authors have put out books. Jesse Winty's book on Reconciled is really great. Anyway, Land Back is a movement that would save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but it would also be a part of a treaty partnership, part of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which I am not hearing anybody talk about when talking about Palestine. So how unfortunate. Um, it how unfortunate people are still so uneducated on the topic of UNDRIP. Anyway, I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border or the Blackfeet north of the border or the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877. So just a blip in the thousands of years that they were here this this treaty is so new, and yet Canadians think, oh, that's so far in the past. It's not. You have to understand, tens of thousands of years. And 1877 is like yesterday. So anyway, that included signatures of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Good Stony, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands, all non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. And um, I say thank you to all my previous donors for showing your support. I am not funded by anybody. I do not uh, do unethical ads. I do not take unethical money from governments that are, you know, supporting my oppression. So if you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe, or you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media, as well as if you want to hire me. But I will say this. The reason why I say no to a lot of uh, nonprofits is because you never pay what I'm worth. And the other part is that you take 200 emails in order to do something that a regular business does in one or two. Obviously, I understand you have to do that, but that's why my prices are, are large because every time I get an email, every time I get a text, every time I get a, oh, quick question, follow up, you are taking away my time from my family, from my world. I give a free book up. I give the Reconciliation Action Group, I give this podcast, and if you want more free labor, 
then know that you are contributing to the oppression of an Indigenous woman, and likely you are really harmful to our community and likely really harmful to elders. So I'm just going to throw that out there, and I probably should put that in my script from now on because I think Canadians still don't get economic oppression, even though I say it in every single podcast. So I... I was lucky enough this weekend to be a part of a community event and meet uh, three lovely, lovely people at this vendor. And I wanted to let uh, Dory introduce herself in her way. Good morning, or is it morning? Yeah, it's morning still. Um, my colonized name is Dorian Peru, though I love that name very deeply. Uh, my sister was actually the one who named me and my parents said yes. So, uh, but my given name that was given to me by my elder, uh, Lenny Poussette, who's a member of the Morley Band tribe, um, is Evening Star Woman. So beautiful, very grateful. I've only ever been given uh, one name, which was my adult name. I was not born into a very traditional family. Uh, my grandfather attended residential school. Uh, so there's a little bit of displacement there. But before we go deep into that rabbit hole, um, I want to quickly talk about my business. Yeah, so there's three of us. There's me, uh, Danny and Randy. Both of Danny and Randy's last names are Lahash. Um, and they are Mohawk women. They are my sisters. I wish they were my sisters in blood, but they are my sisters by choice. Uh, and also within our love art business so we are we really are an artist com company so it's called little star artistry and the reason that we chose artistry and not I don't know like beading or something was we really are a group of um of different talents Danny is a really talented artist in terms of drawing digitally and she's finally just picked up beading and she's 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 killing it. She's doing so good. She's better than I ever was when I started. Um, and then Randy also draws, but not as consistently. But she is she is unbelievably good at beating. It is insane to see how she's grown as an artist in the couple years that I've known her. And it's I'm I'm in baffle of all the beautiful artist people I know. I can't even and then myself. Um, I'm a dancer, I'm a wife, I'm a beater, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm many things to many people, I suppose. Um, I started beating, I think it's, I think three years ago, um, I started dancing, well, kind of when I was little, I danced in Tiny Tot's age when I was little, um, and then, I don't know, and then I just didn't, I didn't for a long time, I don't think it was lack of interest or even really lack of support it was just that when I was preschool age uh I was in through the Métis Nation I was in a native preschool so it was all native kids and it was funded by the Métis Nation and I went there and they taught you that kind of stuff and they helped your parents you know make you regalia and so my parents made me and my sister regalia I was a fancy dancer when I was little and my sister was a jingle dress dancer when she was little so we did that. And then once I kind of left that age of schooling and went into colonial based schooling, that really wasn't supported. And it also wasn't really an option um, in, in terms of, you know, when you bring things to talent shows and stuff, those were not the kind of things that were welcome uh, in, in my school. And, and my, you know, my dad 
has had a has had a hard time coming to terms with what being you know visibly indigenous means for him and having kids that are you know of that nature that really are connecting with their roots that's been a that's been a a, a hard one for our family to adjust to so yeah that's a little bit about us you can find us online at little star artistry everywhere it's the same everywhere um and our next event is going to be next weekend on Saturday at 7 p.m. at the Calgary Contemporary Center. Uh, and there's going to be over 50 artists there. There's going to be some performing artists. It's called Raw. You can find tickets online at RAW Canada. And uh, it's lovely. It's going to be a lovely event. I've been I've been honored to go there for the last, I think, four or five events that they have. So I think, I think I've known that had a working relationship with Raw for a year or two now and they've been so lovely and so supportive of of having an indigenous artist they have asked me to do some land acknowledgements coming up which is a big step and i respect i respect people for at least having an indigenous voice do those kinds of things i can mm -hmm. respect the humbleness it can take and kind of the fear that you have to step out from to uh, to ask indigenous people to do things like that that so big growing we're growing we mm -hmm. are growing in the city scene we're doing lots of things behind the scene I am our booking lady which means that I spend primary of our time kind of figuring out where we're going and when and I've been really blessed that we've been booked pretty much since last year in September so we've been doing I know so we've been doing good and I'm I'm very glad we combined our businesses at one point actually and it's become uh, much easier for us economically to represent ourselves as a group sort of a group I guess pretty much and it's been a lot easier for us so, but we're learning we're learning we're babies at this we're well we're babies in general all of us are under the age of 25 so we're like all little and figuring it out as we go <laughs> yeah no I admire you though because at the end of the day it takes a lot to be a business and do the tap and be at these events and have people know who you are so to me it's incredibly important to recognize how much work it is to be a business and so hats off to you for doing it um, I can't usually get my crap together enough to go to these types of events and be there and uh, I'm not sure you know, how I fit in that world either of being there. Um, for me, most people see me more as a politician than they do as a possibility of somebody to come into their world. But the other thing is to have really strong boundaries that most vendors, like like we talked a little bit um, when we met about how hard it is to edge walk, you know, because I was lucky enough to come in and be a speaker and speak truthfully about how poor reconciliation actually is. Whereas I think for a vendor who needs to, you know, get established and come back to all these events, they don't wanna be ostracized for speaking truth. So we've, we did kind of have how, how hard it is to balance that. So for me, uh, and I've met many of our elders <laughs> who have just said, yeah, they don't ask me to come speak anymore because I, they don't like what I got to say. And I'm like, you know, I feel that I, I, I feel that a lot. And I, I don't really know where I fit in sometimes because, you know, as I said, at our event, a lot of the uh, folks that hire you you know, want me to sing you a song and put a, 
you know, a, a spirit of the buffalo in you. And like, I'm not some performative shtick, you yeah. know, and I think that that's what a lot of so-called reconciliation is. And I, I think that's a real disservice to our people, especially when we're still oppressed. And I think that that's the key that people don't understand is that, you know, we're talking about reconciliation, but we haven't stopped the oppression. So how are we, oh, how are we reconciling? <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's hard to be a business. It's hard to be an Indigenous business in, in the city. And it's hard to be an Indigenous woman because uh, the way people treat us. I mean, I, I get treated poorly every day. I know what you have to go through as well. So God forbid you stand up for yourself when your boundaries are violated, as they mm -hmm. usually are by non-Indigenous. <laughs> yeah, it was even at that event, uh we had a little bit of a weird run-in with somebody who was an Indigenous who had said something a little disheartening. You know, sometimes when people discredit you before they even know your credentials, and that's kind of where that comment came from. They were like, you should do this and you should do that. And, you know, my sisters are very um, humbly shy, quiet people. It's just their nature. It's how they were raised. And uh, I am not and was not. So I basically was just like, yeah, thanks. Uh, we do that, you know, we're good. And my sisters were super disheartened by that. And it's so, it's so interesting for me in this process of learning what our business is to us and how we want to run it. It's so interesting to see the things that we've said no to, the people we've said no to, the sales we've said no to. Actually, a really good example that I know my my sister would be so happy to hear on a podcast is um we were at the was it the National Chief Coalition that they have at Sutina. And it's great. Sutina has been a really big supporter of us in terms of inviting us out to events. So I'm really grateful for that. But we were out there and um somebody from the UCP party, um, she she came and she did her little speech about reconciliation and how nation and non-Indigenous need to be building bridges together. And we were just sitting there laughing at this because, okay, you take your time, you know, you're paid to be here and you come, great. You show, you know, you showed your face, awesome. But what, what, was the funny part to me is then after her staff came around and said, hey, this person, this important person is going to come around to your booth. You know, are we allowed to take photos? And we were like, no. And they were like, oh, what? Why? And we were like, well, we don't support her and she doesn't support us. So no. And they they literally spent probably, I would say, two minutes, her staff trying to convince us to let her take photos at our booth with us. And we said, no, it's not happening. No. And that was not, it wasn't even a thought for us. It wasn't even an option. But then as she came around, you know, you see, you see where the priorities of some businesses stand. And I understand, you know, people got to make money and pay bills and you got to do what you got to do. But I, the one thing that I think that we have stand like very stern on is we will not sacrifice our morals for money because we didn't start doing this necessarily for money in the first place. Randy started doing it because 
she liked beading and I started doing it just out of that's what I I had a friend named Lindsay at work who taught me how to beat and she's she's a Métis woman and so she taught me how to beat and then it became an addiction and then it became a little side thing and then it became all of this so everybody started for their own reasons and now because we've formed more of a a real business whatever that means we we really don't want to sacrifice our morals or opinions or whatever you want to call them for money or for political gain or whatever you want to call it publicity I guess because we just aren't we just aren't those kinds of people you know and it's been really interesting to see the events that we get booked at alongside some really big headlining vendors when we didn't have to sell our souls to get there which I think is really I think that's similar in all sectors of life from working nine to five jobs to being an artist, it is really all the same walk of life in a different suit, you know? Yeah. And I, that's just who we are, I guess. And I, I hope and think it'll never change. I, I've said no to a lot of things. I've said no to a lot of dancing events, all, all sorts of things. Cause I don't want to be tokenized. Yeah. I don't want to, no. I don't want to be your indigenous lady. I don't. I don't want to be that for you. I want to be the independent artist I am. And if you can appreciate that I'm Indigenous while being that person, then that's awesome. But it is a very interesting parallel, especially being a dancer that is for hire. I don't like to say that because that that then in turn discounts my traditionalism behind my dancing, which is which is actually very more prevalent than dancing for money per se. Like I I dance at a lot of funerals, at a lot of community things. And if you ask me to come, I'm gonna go and I'm not expecting money. You know, there are there are times where my time is to be paid for, but there are also times where my time is not to be paid for, you know, and I think that's what walking two ways of life really is for me at least. Because I'm not, although I have bills to pay, there are, there's times and places for that, I feel. Yeah. And, you know, our people, when before colonization happened and contact happened, we weren't, oh, I'll, I you need to give me money to dance at your funeral. That would be, first of all, that's heartless. But secondly, that's not who we are as people. Obviously, me and my sisters talk a lot about this, that times are changing what being Indigenous is, is changing as the world changes. And we have to kind of grow with that as it grows. But yeah, I, I we are the, the same as you in a lot of ways. We, I telling my sisters that when I saw you, I was like, ooh, because I didn't know you were coming until the same day when they sent me the poster over email. And I was like, oh my God. And I brought my husband to come and watch. And the time that he was there before he had to leave watching you, he was like, wow, she's the only other person I've heard talk about stuff like that you talk about. And I'm like, I know she's my, you are such a, like I told you, I was like, oh, you're my idol. And you're like, I'm not to be idolized. I was like, I know. But it's that kind of thing where it's like, a, it's a connection of, I think, not a lot of people I get to have with a lot of people because sometimes mm -hmm. I'm too loud for people I mm -hmm. think is what it is you know what I mean because mm -hmm. they expect 
I think minorities in general, not even just indigenous people, but they expect us to to be a face value without a voice. Yeah. Like a number on a census sheet. And I'm not that, you know, so I've had a hard time in the same regard as you of saying yes to things because I don't want to be that. No. And not-for-profits as well. They're stinkers. I know. Um, and they, they hide behind that. Well, we're not for profit. And it's like, okay, but you just brought in, you know, Joseph Boyden, um, flew him in, gave him his speaker fee. So, so it makes, make that make sense to me. Right. Um, oh, right. He put the spirit of the Buffalo in you, even though our community knows who he actually is. (laughs) So, you know, it's, uh, it's really hard. And I, I, uh, I really struggle with that as well. And yeah, and I struggle with being idolized because I'm such a flawed human being. And uh, on my road of reconciliation, on my road of understanding treaty, of reclaiming, of identifying as Indigenous, like that's, it's been such a hard road to understand and unpack and try to explain it to other people. I mean, obviously enough that I can do a weekly podcast, but you know, that bigger picture that, um, you know, even my daughter, I always worry, like, what intergenerational trauma am I giving you? <laughs> but I, at the same time, recognizing, like, she's the first one to not witness domestic violence and to um, the first generation in many, many generations, right? So, you know, if we can start breaking those types of things, um, I'm trying not to have you know, drunken parties around her. Um, you know, she's only seen a few people really drunk in her life and uh, and preferably none of them being family because I don't want her associating that with, this is what you do at family events, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so it's been a very interesting, but obviously as a harm reduction advocate, constantly educating her on, okay, so this is what you do in an alcohol party. This is what you do when there's drugs around and, you know, recognizing me saying, oh, no, you can't do that would be the most hypocritical thing on the planet for me to say. So, you know, it, it's hard being a mother, an Indigenous mother yeah. trying to, you know, talk about intergenerational trauma. But, you know, I'm probably the only mother that gives my daughter Narcan to give out freely to whoever she deems to give it out to. And uh, she's educating her friends on Narcan and Naloxone in the hopes that we can save another life somewhere. So, you know, it's these are hard, hard things to try to balance in the world. So I have a deep respect for for you and your your sisters, your Mohawk sisters doing this work, because especially being uh, young, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to say no, Um, you know, in my 30s. Like it, I'm 46 now, so it's been a long road of me learning my own boundaries, but also growing up in domestic violence, knowing boundaries are something I've had to develop over my entire adult life, right? So <laughs> just trying to understand that, yeah. Yeah, well, and even being so young is a whole thing. Like I work in, I work in the non-for-profit sector in the addiction parts of it, uh, nine to five. And uh, to touch on the Narcan topic, yeah, like people are dying. I have Narcan, honestly, I've lost count 
for sure in this year, but even in the past month, we've had probably over 10 on our site in the near the building and you know nobody's died thank god but it is it is going around and the the drug supply you know in what i think is interesting is a lot of people who are for lack of better wording naysayers in, in terms of harm reduction they're talking about the drugs that were in the 70s and the 80s we're looking at a whole different thing now yeah. we're looking at drugs that are laced with horse tranquilizer benzos, things that don't respond to Narcan because Narcan only responds to opiates. You know, like there's all of these things that people don't realize about drugs and people who use drugs. And that's heartbreaking because they are, they're just people. Yeah, They're just people who, who, for whatever reason, made it to that point in life. And without the supports of other people, what would the world be? You know, like, and so that's and the not-for-profit sector in itself is something it's really something and i think my my thoughts on it are they'll say they're a non-for-profit but their ceos make two hundred thousand dollars a year i know i and that's what upsets me so much is that you can't get paid a basic living wage but you know this guy over here he has a new new uh, vehicle to pay for, I guess. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because I I have to handle, you know, people almost dying by my hands, you know. I have to handle, yeah, overdoses, psychotic breaks, lots of things from people that I don't blame them for, those people. But that you would think that I would get paid money for that, but I do not. I don't even make to be completely transparent because I don't could give a shit less. I don't even make fifty thousand dollars, and yeah. I work full time Monday to Friday, often with lives in my hands, and so do my coworkers. And only people with, you know, fancy educations will make over fifty grand, and even that, it's under sixty. You know. Okay, and, and, but and then just, look- can I pause you for one second? Yeah. So, and and bigger picture here. You are able to de-escalate someone without a gun, without a taser, yep. and without the infrastructure that are given to the military policing system. So, 100%. you know, and, and and I think that is of a value. The fact that our, our police can't de-escalate a situation yep. like that and, in fact, make it worse and then shoot and kill someone. That is so upsetting to me. And at least with you there, you know, we're we're not talking about the murder of somebody who is having a psychotic break. Yeah, it's really disheartening. I I have a really hard line about police. I have been twice in my life v- victimized by people violently and in sexual nature, both. Um, and both times, surprisingly, uh, the police did a really good job. And they, they went through the entire justice system. Those people are in jail or being charged kind of thing. Like they really... I know. And it's so that to me, what is the only faith I have in the policing system, um, because I've seen firsthand, you know, good outcomes, but I've also seen five, six police officers on one unarmed person. I've also seen them shoot and kill our people. I've seen them tackle our women who were drunk with no weapons. I've seen many things that have, you know, that has broken my heart 
that I believe that first of all, let's you know acknowledge that the po- the police system institution in itself was built to police slaves and and non-white people. That is what it, I don't know if many people know that. I think your listeners would, but if you don't educate yourself, look into why the art CMP was created. That's what it was created for. It was a slave watch program thing that they created to control non-white people and so based on that system being built on that reasoning already can't necessarily be an inclusionary system is my belief on it and if you did if you do as an as an institution truly believe that you wanted to to change that you would Mm -hmm. I know that things take money and infrastructure takes money and all these things take money but at the end of the day they have money it's not about the money it's about what do you and your institutionalized brain want to do right and and often people see those changes unvaluable compared to the money value of those changes which which I think is ridiculous but you know I think we will reach a breaking point one day of many colonial institutions where they will be forced to to change those things we are you know indigenous people are the growing are the fastest growing demographic here i don't know about everywhere else in the world but here, here we are and that that will eventually change i for example i'm so happy to see wab canoe get in as the first indigenous premier i that was a big that i'm so happy to be alive for that i don't even know how to explain it better than that i i cried about it I w- it was happy tears, obviously, but I cried about it. And it was, and especially in a place that needs it. Yeah. To talk about like, you know, what Manitoba is in its current standing. They really did need that. The indigenous people there really did need that. And I'm really glad to see that though there is a lot of negative institutionalization right now in society and things like that, we are seeing a very big turn in Indigenous youth and adults take a lot of stance in the public eye. Like, look at the difference even in media representation, which has a big, been a big point for me to look up to. That makes me emotional. But I, I, that's big for me. Like, I never saw, like, anybody growing up you know and, yeah i tell the my uh my little ones how lucky they are um i and i will still ball like a baby if you watch i want to say it's the 2015 opening or the juno awards where it was all indigenous like i yeah. still cry watching yeah. that um reservation dogs i cry yeah. um Same. and <laughs> and what you described about about wob and crying i i did in 2015 when we got, you know, Jody Wilson rainbowed as our first yes. Indigenous Justice Minister, right? I, I cried. I was like, "This is happening." We had yep. we had a huge amount of Indigenous MPs for the first time, so like I cried, and I was so happy and proud of me being part of that. So you know, and now obviously I live with the scars of being part of some of them not getting reelected and what happened with Jody, you know, wishing that we had better infrastructure to have supported her, but also the non-Indigenous understanding where she was coming from. 
it's neither here nor there, you know, and I, 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 I have a lot of uh, worry for Wob because yes. I know these institutions won't support him. And I know that they're like politics is dirty and messy and there's a whole army behind him that want to see him not just fail, but fail out of, out of uh, life. And, and the yeah. thing is, is that it's different for us as indigenous because we are at a higher rate of unaliving ourselves yeah. than say other than, than indigenous or just, or non-indigenous are just like, whatever, I'll just move to the States and become a CEO of a nonprofit, make my 200,000 and it's fine. Yeah. Right. Like they, they just don't have that same, uh, they haven't been told their entire life, the messaging that we have. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so failure is very different for them than it is for us. So um, and that's like, I'm so happy Jody just continued to write books and continued to tour and continued to talk and, and, um, you know, it has such good, healthy support behind her because that's not necessarily the same for everybody. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it really is like on the part of failure as an Indigenous person, I think when, when, you know, there's this saying in the, I don't know, business world where a failure is a lesson, it is for a white person. It's not for me. Failure for me means I might not be able to pay my rent or, you know, support my family or God forbid, do anything else in the world. You know, failure is not an option for Indigenous people. If you fail, that is seen as who you are. Yeah. Even sometimes by within your community, because I, I, at least as a, as a person, I do not shy from the oppression within our own community as well. Mm-hmm. is something at least I have experienced a lot of. And I know and recognize that it is because I have a lot lighter skin and some whiter features than most people. Uh, but to that, I say it's not my fault. My mother is white. My father is Indigenous. And I cannot turn my back on either one of those ways of life. If I do that, I'm pretty sure Wab can do so similar to this during his election, I believe, during his process of election. But if I do that, I turn my back on my mom. And if I do the opposite, I turn my back on my dad. And mm-hmm. I can't do either one of those. And I refuse to. Mm-hmm. I will never deny the fact that I am, that I have, you know, colonizer blood in me. And I will never deny the fact that I'm Indigenous at this point in my life. When I was younger, that was a whole different story. My grandfather and my dad kind of almost really didn't accept that it was not something we talked about it was not something that they wanted me to talk about or my sister to talk about and I would I would argue it was almost until my sister was going into high school university age and she's six years older than me than I'm 20 so it's been a while um but since that kind of point which was you know many years ago we really didn't talk about it and we really didn't want to talk about it my grandfather, um, you know, he what he went to residential school, um, and he he was a numbered Indian. He didn't have a name, and yet because of that process, he never tried to get status ever. He didn't want status. He also lost the ability to because his parents, you know, after that experience, they never really reconnected. You know, after after he was released from what I consider as a prison, there was, there was no ability to reconnect. 
And so he, he, my dad, I was talking to my dad the other day and my dad called my grandfather a silent survivor, which is very true. He, I didn't, we never talked about his experience in residential school until this year. Um, and it was because I was watching Indian horse at my parents' house when I was visiting and he happened to had come by and he finished watching. I think it was the last maybe 45 minutes to an hour of it with me. And after that, we kind of both were very silent and uncomfortable. And I just kind of turned to him and I was like, so, so what happened to you? Hey, and he was like, yep. That's all he said. And I don't, I don't ever want to ask him to relive those experiences. I know that my dad knows more than I do and I know secondhand, but I would, I don't think I'll ever have the heart to encourage him to talk about it unless he came to us because I just couldn't imagine. Yeah. I've been through some very traumatic things in my life, but I could not imagine your, you know, especially the very special circumstances of like how he ended up there and all the things in our family. I just couldn't imagine. I just could not imagine having to ask him to relive those things for me to know. And I, I'm just grateful that he is still around. I'm grateful he's still around and I'm grateful that he's finally coming around to more traditional things. And so is my dad. I'm actually very proud of my dad as well. My dad, my dad called me a chug my whole life. And I don't know if you know what that means, but many people don't even native people even my sisters didn't know what it meant and I explained it to them for the people that don't know and who are listening and watching this is there's this stereotype that was a lot more so I'd say in like the late 80s 90s where you call native people chugs and the reason that you call them that is because we chug alcohol and I do not blame my dad for calling me that because that was his connection point it was a term of endearment and and he never meant it in a, in a in a mean way ever. My dad is the I am I have the best dad. He's so wonderful. And mom, I have the best mom. I have the best family. We've went through it. Don't get me wrong, but I am grateful to have two parents that have supported me through my endeavors, um, and who are still here. And I'm grateful. But I was called those kinds of things my whole life, even by my family. And so we lived a very long and unsettling shadow of of what indigenous people hide in especially the trauma of residential schools yes. that trauma was embedded in my father it was embedded in me and I hope and refuse to not let that be embedded in my children when I have them mm. which I'm lucky to be you know to be a young woman who hasn't been forced to have a child yet you know because many of our young women who are Indigenous, whether it was consensual or not, have children that they didn't really have much of, of an option, you know, and that breaks my heart too. Oh, going back to what you said about being so white, like I also have a white father. I'm not ashamed of him in any capacity. Um, but my, my mother, like there is a history of rape. So I, I have a real hard time when other Natives make fun of other Natives for being light-skinned because it's like, you know, unfortunately consensual sex has not been a you know it, it's been a historically a historical issue of not being a reality and uh, so for me personally I, I know exactly that's another example of some of the uh, intergenerational curses that I want to be breaking too and uh, lucky enough that I never had to have a baby 
uh, by uh, without without that choice, right? So yeah. I I feel you. I feel every everything that you said there. I felt it hard. And uh, there's a fellow in Grand Prairie and it actually made quite a bit of news about 10 years ago. Um, he had this truck that said something about squaw on it. And um, and he said to me, I talked to him on the phone. He outright said to him, it was a term of endearment. He didn't know it was a bad word. So, mm -hmm. and I say that to you because, um, you know, a lot of people will still call me T road allowance people, the older people, yeah right? Yeah, the yeah. older people call them that. Uh, a lot of the newer kids are like, what? And uh, my daughter actually got chastised by a white teacher over the term half-breed. But I'm like, you have every fucking right to say it. So how dare she, yeah. right? Like here you were giving free education and this teacher actually chastised her. So, yeah. um, you know, the, like these are the real issues that we face. And I, I appreciate you sharing all of that with me, my God. Um, and And I'm glad you're proud of who you are. And I think I would say we never talked about a lot of these things as well. And I wish that non-Indigenous understood that when people are willing to talk about it, like the gift that they're giving they're there, it's like asking yeah. Nelson Mandela to tell about his stories in in uh, prison. And yet people don't under they don't make that connection because they still have so much racist anti-Indigenous bias yeah. in, in their world. Right. So um, so I appreciate everything you shared today. Um, I know I'll be giving the link to your website in, in the preamble along with this as well. Is there anything else you'd like to share for today, knowing you're more than welcome to come back anytime? Oh, thanks. Um, just be kind, I think. Not even questions, but I think for anyone listening, you know, because I'm sure we're, me and you both are of love and hated people, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, not actually, but like, you know, but I think what I can recommend people, especially people that are on their healing journey or beginning it or reconnecting, or even non-Indigenous people that listen to this, just be kind and recognize that the assumptions that you make about people or the things that you think or that you've heard often a aren't true but b are so harmful to people and you really have to be humble and kind and willing to listen to people in their story and to all the people that dance powwow out there be nice be nice to each other love each other and continue to dance with your heart not your hate and let's build a better community for our brothers and our sisters and our elders love it thank you thank you for sharing all that um to folks listening we have the november 19th trans day of remembrance to, here in calgary and um, so far that's still booked at the community wise but uh, it did sound like it might be moved outside to the central memorial we'll see how many people we get if you march in pride you know, this is your chance to show up and show the trans community you're here to protect them. Um, thankfully, we had Carla Marks on our last podcast to talk a lot about that. Uh, right now, at this exact moment that we're recording, the CBE is having a public meeting. And I know that there was a push to have these, um, you know, anti-trans, anti-queer parents trying to infiltrate that. So and thankfully, I'm busy 
recording a podcast instead of having to be there or watching on their live stream. But I know dealing with the CBE and trying to get to those public meetings, how even when there is a topic on the whatever it is that you want to talk about, how they control the messaging. So you, I'm not really too worried about uh, uh, too much hate getting on the meeting minutes because they they control everything. And uh, SOGI123 is definitely not on their agenda today. So, <laughs> but that is something that if you are a person that supports the queer community, you really should be looking at your school trustees and going, which are anti-queer, which are pro-queer. And if there is an anti-queer um, school trustee, we need to get rid of that person immediately. There are elections coming up. You need to seriously think about being a part of it. Uh, here we have the Queer Citizens United. Really important to get involved if you I like to fancy yourself as some sort of ally. Uh, like I try to, but you know, we got to work on these things. We have to have solidarity between the oppressed groups. And I hope that people see their role in, in considering becoming a school trustee. And as most school trustees use this platform to go into, you know, municipal and or provincial politics uh, with the party system, and then sometimes federal, you know, there, there is a future for you if you are a, a person who's thinking in that way as well. Anyway, if you do care about uh, SOGI123, please write your school trustees to tell them your support. Um, there's tons of information that uh, QCU can also give you if you are unsure. And uh, follow them on all the social media in order to support the queer community as we go through this awful moment of uh, anti-trans, anti-queer sentiment. Um, Another another thing that I've been um, really I'm going to be putting out just shortly after this is a support letter for Stop the Stack YYC. Um, they are really helping educating people with anti-blackness and and stopping that uh, and and teaching people how the justice system purposely stacks all of these charges against black activists in order to uh, silence them, make them seem like criminals, et cetera, et cetera. And we have two single black women, mothers, you know, doing this amazing work in the city and they're getting all of these charges stacked against them in order to silence them. And this has been a longstanding tactic that we've seen from the justice system using against, you know, people who don't conform to white supremacy. So we need folks to support this. And I'm not seeing people putting out their letters of support. I'm not seeing uh, TikToks of letters of support. And I'm not seeing people talking about Stop the Stack YYC. So I encourage you, if you fancy yourself some type of Black Lives Matter ally, that you should be putting that work out there. Because right now, uh, two of the most important activists we have in the city are at risk of being jailed for no other reason than the police hate them and they're not getting the support they need from folks like us. So please put your stuff out there. Um, I am putting together my book list for 2023, but in the meantime, anyone is more than welcome to join our, we decided to take the uh, report to guide the implementation of the National Action Plan on Violence Against Women and Gender-Based Violence and, and split them into November and December. It's over 400 pages, so first 200 for November, the second for December. So, you know, if you don't want to join our book club because the timing doesn't work for you in any capacity, it's every second Monday. Um, of the of each month so it's once a month but the second monday at 6 30 p.m mountain it's just a zoom link 
anyone is more than welcome. But we're going to look at that since we did the whole national inquiry to see why it is we needed a whitewash version to be talking about this um, discussion. But also, so then uh, January will be making space for Indigenous feminism. Oh, actually, I think that'll be February because um, Sean Carlton's book um that's going to be our our january book for sure so that's kind of the plan that we have reconciliation action group is always looking for help uh, we've had to see uh, an indigenous family be targeted uh, in cochrane over the last couple of weeks so you know if you can give support for that that would be great but there's so many things to do in the city whether it's Baker chiefs or or other initiatives that are so incredibly painfully racist we want to create a safer space for all the indigenous youth but a lot of the non-indigenous youth we don't want to normalize being a mascot like what's up with that if i started a sports club called caucasians i'm sure everybody would lose their nut but yet it's done to us all the time right uh, so join the Reconciliation Action Group, uh, support the uh, work that we're doing. Um, I'm also encouraging them to write the CBE with uh, supportive letters of SOGI, as well as um, Stop the Stack YYC. A lot of our members are also a part of Justice for Palestinians, because again, we all understand oppression dynamics. So these are folks that are doing a lot of the work, and we would love to have these so-called allies come join us. Uh, I am proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training and cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of colour, those with disabilities, and 2SLGBTQ to speak. According to the Quality of Life report from 2023 of the Calgary Foundation, 88% of racialized Calgarians feel uncomfortable or out of place because of their religion, ethnicity, skin color, culture, language, accent, gender, or sexual orientation, which is up 75% in 2022. And I would argue now um, in the last week, I have seen a ridiculous amount of examples of anti-Semitism and, and, and Islamophobia. So, yeah. you know, it, it is so gross to me that people are so comfortable being bigots. And I, I can't understand, like, why on earth? I, I can't. Anyway, 84% of racialized Calgarians believe racism exists. So, you know, the fact that that's not 100%, folks, <laughs> that I can't understand, even if it said non-rationalized but those are only 66 percent. so i'm sad that 33 percent of the uh non-racialized calgarians don't get it anyway i would like to talk about indigenous cultural safety and why you should care about it and chelsea uh branch cheryl ward and alicia fritkin of here to help.bc.ca put together uh, a great package and information about what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. So please support uh, things like that. Go back and reference it regularly if you're non-Indigenous as to why this matters as part of your reconciliation and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Now, Andori talked a little bit about that internalized racism and lateral violence as another form of violence that we constantly experience because of the structure of racism. So if people go to uh, racialequitytools.org, there's tons of resource files. 
and what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins. That oppression is something that we have to constantly unpack ourselves. This is something I regularly look at so that I'm not being a problematic person. I have no problem calling out settler and colonial violence at all by non-Indigenous people. But within ourselves, you know, I, I try not to talk about that too much outside other than to talk about that in constant oppression that we're under that it's a lot easier for me and Dory to attack each other than it is for her and I to attack the Calgary police or the city or the uh, other political parties because um, we have no voice there and the only place we seem to have any voice is with each other sometimes so that's why it's important for all folks who uh, face some sort of oppression to understand what internalized oppression is and this is just another uh, resource file for folks to unpack a lot of that uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention i can't actually stress this enough if we're seeing a rise of islamophobia you know anti-trans um anti-semitism what do you do well AFSC.org, American Friends Service Committee. They have a tons of do's and don'ts by standard intervention. Obviously, Dory does, um, you know, that constant um, de-escalation. You know, you can Google de-escalation or you can go to this by standard intervention and learn more about that. Uh, if anyone follow, wishes to follow me on social media, um, you know, I, I regularly repost the anti-racism organizational lead for the city of Calgary, uh, giving a presentation of the journey of becoming an anti-racism leader. So if you fancy yourself as somebody who's taken that, um, you know, anti-racism training, well, this is to add to your collection of things that you can say that you watch. Now, hopefully you absorbed it after what I'm seeing. People are not absorbing what a land acknowledgement is, and that's like the bare minimum. So, um, again, uh, Stop the Stack YYC to help uh, Calgary's own Black Lives Matter activists, Taylor McNally and Adora Nofor, who are being legally targeted uh, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize uh, equity-seeking groups with their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, a lack of human rights for immigrants, migrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Uh, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, there's over 400, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, those are yearly, and violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Provincially, the in Alberta, the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice, so that's another report that you should all be very familiar with. We have the White Goose Flying Report, which is a City of Calgary report, which most people don't know about. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in every institution with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. Um, I also want to 
encourage people to be following aboriginalalert.ca. Uh, there's the Missing Children's Society of Canada. They also have an app. I really promoted the womenshomelessness.ca uh, statement about urgent action for protecting the lives of Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, and gender-diverse people experiencing homelessness. And, you know, we've got this, the figures for July of how many people have passed. That number is expected to climb thanks to the drug poisoning issues here. So the drug poison, poisoning deaths in Alberta are remaining high and new records are being set every month. So please follow uh, harm reduction policies. If you are, if you know somebody using, please don't use alone. If you are using alone, contact the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS for support or download the Braves or Doors app. Lifeguard is also another app that you can use, but if you're hearing or experiencing emotional distress after what we've talked about, please call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a website, hopeforwellness.ca, with those little text box that you can uh, interact with. If more re related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit, you can call eight seven or sorry eight four 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 one three six six four nine. It is a twenty four seven crisis line, and I also want to acknowledge the Indian Residential School Survivor Family Hotline at eight six six. 925-4419. We also have a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. Not more crisis uh, related, sadly, just more uh, a place that you can go if you identify as a 60 Scoop person. Uh, Native Youth Crisis Hotline at 877-209-1266. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211 or you can call 833-456-4566 or text at 45645. You can also go to crisisservicescanada.ca and the Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868. Uh, the following are two SLGBTQ crisis supports available in most areas across Canada. Uh, the Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. The Trevor Project for Youth, 866-844-7386. You can also go to lifevoice.ca. They have tons of crisis supports and LGBTQ crisis supports. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how I take my bow back. How, that's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear my or Dory's opinion, but sure like to tell us theirs, even if they know nothing about us, colonialism, the constant surveillance of us as people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions or daily racism, so it's unacceptable anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism or oppression, those gatekeepers, folks that survive off the status quo, and people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for folks like me, folks with disabilities, 2SLGBTQ, BIPOC, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my late grandmother, 
my mom, and what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt and confident in how to walk in the white world. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy um, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child and support down my journey of the red road he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism and to our child we are blessed to learn from you daily we are honored you chose us you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person my hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they will understand my patreon account is native calgarian where you can pledge and support Thank you to the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts as well. And I'd like to say thank you to my dog, Hugo, for protecting me every single day. He really cares about every squirrel and bunny and cat and person who might even think about being in the area that I live in. So, and I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not traditional. <laughs> My beautiful cousin would respond, or yet be in my dish. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. <laughs>